Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am uh, here today with a writer and I have enjoyed a lot of their work and I can't wait to jump in and talk about it. I got to meet them in person this year at Baltimore Comic Con, which was very exciting. And um, I got to uh, get my copy of Dolly in the Dark Sign and we're going to talk all about it. But please welcome to the podcast, Joe Corallo. Joe, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you, Jimmy? I'm doing pretty good. Um, good. Excited, excited to talk to you um, about a lot of the the work that you've done. And I know right before I started recording, we talked about it. It's been recently announced that you're going to be writing, I guess, a, um, a the graphic novel coming out next March for uh, King Arthur and the uh, Knights of Justice, which was yeah, a. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of, is it like a reboot or a continuation? Because I was reading about it, that it was a, initially a, a cartoon from like 92 and 93 that was never yes. completed. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess let's kind of, let's, let's start there. Cause I was kind of curious about it. Like, how did this, that project come about? Um, well, it's, it was, uh, funny. I, I was, uh, talking with Mad Cave, um, uh, this would have been at last, not the, this past Baltimore Comic-Con, but the one before it. Okay. So a little less than a year ago, because that would have been like Halloween weekend uh, 2022. About like uh, different licenses that were coming up and things that, you know, might be interested in. And I, I actually wasn't aware that they would have had the King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, you know, licensed. Mm-hmm. Or if it was in consideration, and I actually mentioned the cartoon, I was like, you know, I, I watched that, that cartoon, King Arthur: The Knights of Justice, when, when I was a kid. So it was like, oh, really? And then, um, you know, we had more conversations about it going forward, and then, you know, we were able to figure it out and make that work. And uh, it was a great excuse to rewatch the whole thing. I have in recent years watched episodes. Uh, I, I like going back and watching like random episodes of all sorts of cartoons I grew up with. Uh, okay. You know, like the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, uh, the two different Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons that both were voiced by Julia White. But there was like the goofier one, and then there was like the more serious one with Snively and, the, and with uh, Uncle Chuck, who is. Uh, you know, roboticize. There's that one. Um, was it recently? Because it's you know Halloween season. It's been like the Little Shop of Horrors cartoon, uh, Monster Force, Mummies Alive, uh, Gravedale High, which was a cartoon uh, vehicle for Rick Moranis in like 1990. Oh wow! Yeah, there was. Okay, so I don't know if I've I I, I heard of that one. And I, I'm a huge. I, I mean, I love Rick Moranis, so I'm yeah. shocked. Check it out. I mean, it's not good, but like, <laughs> check it out. Because uh, like, there was this weird time in like the, I feel like the very late '80s into the early mid '90s, where comedians were just getting cartoons left and right. Because you had uh, Camp Candy for John Candy, you had right. um, uh, you know Gravedale High for Moranis, you had Bobby's World with Howie Mandel, you had Life with Louie with Louie Anderson. Yep. Right? Yeah. You know, and then shortly after that, 
you you had some of the more adult stuff like uh, Doctor Katz as that mm-hmm. squiggly cartoon and and things like that, and um, just interesting. I, I find it such an interesting vehicle that it was like, oh, we got this comedian. Let's give him a cartoon. Yeah, this seems like like okay. Like I guess that I, I don't know where the the logic jump is there. Right. Yeah, I was I I wasn't familiar. I I heard some like just saw some folks like talking about it on social media when it was announced about King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. And I was like looking up, like you could find some videos on YouTube and I think you can actually watch it on like Pluto TV or Tubi or like one of those. Tubi has a lot of stuff. Yeah. And um, I, I was looking up the premise, which essentially I think is uh, Merlin is trying to free King Arthur. So he looks and, and recruits like a like an Arthur King and his uh like mm-hmm. football like his the fellow members of his football team right yeah they're the New so, York Knights <laughs> yeah so you, what you had is it, yeah so Morgana defeated the original King Arthur and the so they needed replacements and instead of going with like uh, you know knights and warriors from from that time to step up merlin goes into the future and finds these uh kids because right uh, well i guess they're not like quite kids they're like young men who are yeah yeah they're you know, yeah. playing football yeah because they're, they're they're a professional football team i guess they're, they're, they're right they're supposed to be or semi yeah and this um and this actually also keep in mind this predates a knight uh what is it a kid in king arthur's court that 1985 movie. Mm-hmm. so this is this was cutting edge stuff. So, <laughs> you know, but, but really it's, um, it's, it leans into, I mean, there, there are a lot of cartoons kind of like the captain, the video game masters. You have these like fish out of water, like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a guy who's not from here and now I'm here. Uh, yeah. and what am I going to do? And, yeah. You, you yeah. Know, yeah. Like, I mean, the dungeons and dragons cartoon was, uh, ostensibly that, you know, mm-hmm. as well, where they're, they're taken that, from the ride into that world. That I loved because um, they would like shout their class names at each other. Like someone would be in trouble and they'd be like Cavalier. And like, <laughs> it was, that was weird. But um, I, I watched it as a kid, forgot what it was called. I was just like, I remember this cartoon where these things happen. Cause um, I, I was born in 85. So like, that show was kind of out of circulation by the time it was like five or six. Mm-hmm. And then it was years later, you know, like late high school, you know, looking up stuff on the internet. Uh, Cause I had gotten into Dungeons and Dragons in about 10th grade. And then looking it up and be like, Oh my God, that cartoon was a Dungeons and Dragons. Co-. And that blew my mind at the time. <laughs> so I was, I mean, I was thinking about, because when, when I was looking up something for King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, mm-hmm. and because so I was kind of like 92, 93. So I was born in 79. So 92, mm-hmm. 93 would have been about, you know, 13-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I was just, just outside of, of, of catching it. But the yeah. funny thing was, as soon as I turned on the intro, I, I mean, it, the theme sounded very familiar. And I, mm-hmm. I, I would... I would put money on it being like a Russ Wasserman theme who also did Power Rangers and the X-Men cartoon. Like it's very reminiscent 
of 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 uh, of that style. But I mean, because I I just I you know I was always big into TV and, and cartoon you know theme songs of the cartoons yeah. that I watched and. Another thing about, uh, I think the late eighties, early nineties of cartoon, like it felt like every movie also had a cartoon that at least did like a season or so. Like I remember the back to the future cartoon and, um, back to the future, Bill and Ted had a cartoon and a live action action show. Um, the mask and dumb and dumber and Ace Ventura, all three of Jim Carrey's like 1994 vehicles got right. cartoon spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, 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 it's what I remember about like that time period, but that's kind mm-hmm. of exciting though, to have, I mean, it's a show that was like, what, like 26 episodes, like two 13 episode seasons. And then something that you, you know, recall and then yeah. kind of getting involved in, uh, in a, in a project to write. I mean, it's going to be like, um, just like a, graphic novel uh mm-hmm. about the series yep. straight to graphic novel yeah and is it going to be like because the one of the things i read was how the cartoon was never finished is i mean is it going to be like a complete story is there a chance for more like what can you tell us about it it is i, I mean I, i'm gonna do a bit of a cop out here um that's fine <laughs> it is uh it is a complete story with room for more if uh you know like there's you will have a complete and satisfying story. Like there, there's, you know, the, the full stories in there, mm-hmm. but it's very clear that there's a lot more that can be done moving forward. I would love if this book does well uh, to come back and, uh, you know, write a second volume of what happens after, because there's a lot of potential for it to go in some crazy directions. Basically, if you saw the show, this is all kind of in the realm of that. There's things that are updated, some things that are changed. Mm-hmm. If you watch the show, you're not necessarily going to know what's happening in terms of like, oh, I don't have to read this. I watch the show. It's not an adaptation of the cartoon. Okay. But the 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 concept is still the same. Merlin gets these, you know, football players mm-hmm. to, you know, free free him. And there are elements of the cartoon. There are uh, multiple episodes that I I drew a lot from in my rewatch and things that happen. Uh, some some of it is is even like Easter eggs. There's a couple of things in there that's like a one panel like reference to like it's satisfying if you don't know the reference right but if you do you'll be like oh that was in the cartoon which i think is the best way to do it like you never want to just put something in there as an easter egg that like baffles people like why is this <laughs> happening like who's that guy or something <laughs> like no you want to like tell you want to do it in a way where if people don't get it yeah it it still makes sense and is satisfying and is interesting and adds to the story. So the story is done in a way where I think if it were to continue, we would then be like kind of delving into like some newer ideas and, and concepts that probably didn't make it into the show. So okay. you know, there's 
If yeah, that sounds great. Idea. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you're working with, is it Gaia Cardinale and Chaz Pangburn? Yes, I'm working with the, both of them on it. Um, you know, my part is mostly done. I mean, I'm still, like, reviewing stuff going in. I'm going to have to do uh, reviews for, for lettering and all that. But it's it's almost finished in terms of, like, like the art, I mean... There's some coloring and lettering and things like that that have to be done. But right. you know, for the most part, like other than like maybe some tweaks here and there, like the line art's more or less done. You know, we're working, you know, to make sure it's it's done in a timely manner. There's not going to be any delays like it's coming right. in March. There, there shouldn't be anything to hold it up. I know right. sometimes... Yeah, because, you know, sometimes things happen that are outside your control. But here, there's enough lead time. And Mad Cave is very good about that. And I'm not just saying that because someone from Mad Cave might listen to it. But they're very good with, um, you know, scheduling things out, having yeah. time built in because life happens. Who knows what, what mm -hmm. you know, what could happen going forward. So you want to have that buffer so then it's not like oh well you know you have to take care of these things we understand but now we blew the deadline and the uh enthusiasm and sales and all that are gonna nosedive but you, you know you, you want to like if you can and luckily Matt Cave is able to do that if you can build it in to make sure things get out timely because you know, it's not just, it's important for the market, but it's also important for the fans, you know? I, I feel like, and there's no one really to blame or anything like that. It's just a thing that happens. But, like, I think a lot of people see, out, I, I mean, even with the big two, but but a lot of publishers, you know, if there's a, a smaller publisher, mid-tier publisher, if they're outside of, like, the top five publishers, Sometimes they view, you know, release date as as a suggestion and not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, and, I, and and it can be tough because you know, especially when creators who don't have any control over you know some of those issues, and you know, I know especially you see on like Twitter or other social media where somebody's like, "Books coming out this Wednesday, books coming out this Wednesday," and you know, the repeated yeah. delays do have a tendency to hurt. So it's it's good to see when you know, a publisher like picks a, a, a date, it's solicited and you're able to to hit that. And um, I think right now yeah. it's, it's scheduled uh, King Arthur and the Knights of justice scheduled for March 12th of 24. I think that's what it I is, saw. Yeah. So yeah. That, um, yeah. And the Just art looks great. The, pre the preview pages look fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's just two days shy of pie day. Which is uh, my birthday, everyone. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> uh, happy early birthday. If you haven't thought of a gift to get Jimmy yet, get him a copy of King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. It'll be available right before his birthday. So you'll get it. That's right. Perfect time. Get your, get those orders in. And uh, and you'll have to track me down because this birthday I'm spending with my my brother, the the Cryptid Creator Corner's number one most dedicated listener. He listens to all my episodes. And uh Bobby and I are going to spend my 45th birthday in Ireland together. So 
Oh wow, where where in Ireland are you going? We're 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 traveling around. He's never been, yeah. and I've uh I've been twice, but it's been about eighteen years since I was there. Nice. So um, we're gonna go to Dublin and Wexford, Kinsale, uh, Dingle, uh, Galway, and then we'll we'll finish in Limerick City. So nice. Yeah, I um, yeah. My uh, my great grandmother was born in Waterford. Oh, okay. And, uh, and she used to, she loved going up to Kilkenny. Mm-hmm. And that was like her favorite spot to go when she was growing up. Uh, I have yet to get out to Ireland, but I still have, uh, my grandma still has a living cousin that lives in Dublin. Oh, nice. Well, there you go. Yeah. So I've been thinking about like, oh, I should like go out uh, Ireland. Yeah. My, my brother and I always talked about going and I, like I said, I went twice back in like 2003 and then again in 2005 and I haven't been since. And so we finally decided, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's head out. And, um, then I, I interviewed Ben Hennessy, who's an artist in, uh, in Ireland, um, for a a comic that he had coming out with Krista, Christopher Sabella. And, um, Uh, he saw something I put on Twitter and he's like, you got to come to Wexford. So I was like, all right, we'll add it to the list. So we're spending the night nice. in, in Wexford and checking out some things that Ben uh, recommended, but, um, Very nice. well, but anyway, to get back, uh, to you, Joe, and some of the work that you've done, uh, yeah, when I, so I, I, I was able to, I met you for the, the first time in person at Baltimore this year and right. I picked up Dolly in the dark and I read it when I got home. I think I, I posted on social media about it. I yes, yes. absolutely loved it. Oh, thank, um, you. thank you. I mean, I it was I had visited the Mad Cave like setup that they they had there, and they have Maverick and and paper cut stuff too, and yes. um, picked up a couple of things that I you know hadn't been like overly familiar with, which it still surprises me when you're kind of in the world of like comic books and indie comic books that they're still. There's a lot out there, and you know sometimes I I don't see things right away. But this looked I love the cover of it. I picked it up, and yeah, um, I just I just thought it was what a surprising, fantastic kind of like heart wrenching at times story. Like what it was fun, supernatural, and had like some great emotional depth. It's art. Um, is it Andrea Milana and then Micah Myers lettered it? Um, yep. Yeah, Mike is great. Um, I love every chance I get to work with him. He also lettered um, uh, The Never Ending Party, uh, too, which was great. And lettered a bunch of uh, stories in different anthologies I, I've edited uh, as well. So it's, it's always great to work with him again. Um, yeah, yeah, I got to work with Michael once and just a phenomenal letterer. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, so, so that was great. And, and uh, Andre is now the artist on... Uh, was it Cobra Commander at Skybound with uh, Joshua Williamson uh, writing that? So wow, yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. So if you <laughs> want to get in on the ground floor with uh, Andrea Milano, and and if you really want to under you know, which I think will help you understand Cobra Commander better, you should start with Dolly in the Dark. I think. Yeah, I mean it. it- the artwork is so great in it because um, there's, I mean, the the human element for anyone that doesn't know, it's it's kind of like a uh, a supernatural story where, um, and and I, I mean a bit of a 
there's a there's a crime element to it. So your main character, uh, Danny Dahlia, has hired to deliver a package. There uh, are, I mean, all kinds of different creatures that pop up throughout this world, as well as like a human criminal element. And mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of what it is, him and his partner are delivering is a bit of a secret. They're not st- supposed to look at the package, and there are several different factions that are out trying to trying to get Danny. It's kind of like the the whole setup. And Danny's got some some family issues that that he's yeah. dealing with, which is kind of like the undercurrent of um of the story for him personally. Um, and, and he's kind of trying to find his way in this uh. In, in this world for this job that he he used to do in terms of kind of being, I guess the muscle for uh kind of a crime boss. Yeah, no, sure. It's, um, you know, you, you have, uh, I, I love sort of mixing the like grounded gritty elements with this like surreal, uh, sort of magic war going on, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. I drew a bit from uh, some of my like just driving around the country. So like some of that bit was in there for me. Um, like I've driven uh, you know, for like New York to, I, I once drove, it was uh, in one night from uh, New York to Madison, Wisconsin. And then I drove from there to El Paso, Texas. Oh, so, <laughs> Those are two pretty brutal drives. Yeah, so so I was incorporating. So I was like, "Ooh," and then stopping here and like, "Ooh, the I eighty. Let's like incorporate that and like going through." So like elements of that, I I worked into the story, um, and then a lot of the other stuff really like came together from wanting to lean into the mythological stuff, but thinking about what would and wouldn't make sense. Like, you know, so, so changelings and, and, and the fairies is that, that, that made a lot of sense to me. I, I really wanted to make sure there were changelings in the story, you know, putting in some werewolves. Um, I, I thought like, cause the, the story starts with, you know, the werewolf encounter right off the bat, which mm-hmm. I wanted to like set up in a, like a very noir sort of way. So it's like, Right off the bat, you more or less know what you're going to get into. Right. Uh, so I think that really sets the tone. And then a lot of the emotional resonance there, like his relationship with his daughter. You know, I, I mean, I pulled that from uh, a bunch of different things. You know, it's 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 not entirely, uh, you know, um, uh, un. un unused material you know it's it's the you know it's it's a good way to you know pull at some heartstrings but uh in particular i was thinking of some movies like uh the wrestler things like that where, oh sure you know yeah. you have like the washed up wrestler and the daughter wants nothing to do with them and stuff like that. so it's like oh you know i'm i i remember watching that you know when that came out on um I think I actually, it was one of the last movies I rented from a blockbuster oh. back in like 2009. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fantastic movie, but yeah, very, yes. uh, and especially in terms of the relationship between Mickey Rourke's character 
And is the daughter, is it Evan Rachel Wood? But I think so. It's something like that. It's, it's been a minute since I watched it. Yeah. Really like developing this, um, this uh, book. All right, fellow cryptids, now seems like a good time for a break. I'm always looking for a way to display my comics, but unfortunately, I am not very handy or crafty, as it were. Luckily, I have come across Crafty Comics, and they have a way for you to display your comics, even uh, comic books that are already slabbed, if that's your kind of thing. I recently got a flex frame which has customizable backings and interchangeable border colors. I was able to put in a frame a comic book. It's Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, number one, by Tom King and Lee Weeks. It's signed by both. It's one of my uh, favorite signed comics that I got at Baltimore Comic Con. And I was able to figure it all out. It looks great in the frame. And I can't wait to get it up on the wall. It was super easy. And I have a slew of comic books now. And uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I think I'm going to create a wall of some of my favorite signed comic books. Um, And Crafty Comics was super easy to use. And I like that you can have a different border color along the background to kind of go along with the theme of the cover art. And yeah, it was it's great. And uh, I absolutely love it. So check it out. It's Crafty Comics, C-R-A-F-T-I-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Use the discount code YETI5 and get 5% off your order. And now, back to the Cryptid Creator Corner. Talked about the artwork. The artwork is fantastic. The colors are great. I love the colors in it as as, as well. Do, do a lot to kind of set the mood and, and the tone. And one of the things I really enjoyed about it, because I was a big fan of stuff like the TV show Supernatural, and I I really like mm-hmm. mixing of those elements, like you said, of crime and supernatural. And I yeah. like how it's done in this with um, not a lot of like exposition. I mean, there certainly are moments that explain kind of some of the stuff in the world, but it's never it's never like a big exposition dump. Like here yeah. are all these things you need to know to understand like this world. It just kind of like gets into it and you're like, Oh, that's a changeling. And that's just yeah. what you get. One of the other things I really like about it. There are a couple of kind of like really clever, like just, just bits in it, just things that are in there that I just thought are so great that I, um, like humans are referred to as what, like ephemera. Uh, or yeah. uh, I just thought like that, uh, was just a, a really it really kind of smart way in terms of separating the humans from the, the supernatural element by, by realizing what the, 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 like the fairies and the other characters refer to humans as. So a couple of very yeah. clever things I liked. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, um, one of the things that definitely inspired that early on for me, um, was Blade Runner because Blade Runner does an excellent job as a movie of, throwing jargon around without explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. There's the whole bit where he's like, you know, I got a bunch of skin jobs running around, you know, I had to call the old Blade Runner. And it's just like, you get what he's saying from the context. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't need someone to come in and be like a skin job refers to <laughs> a replicant because they look so much like people, you know, you didn't need that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you just do it. And, um, you know, so that's something that's like stuck with me have you know watching that in like high school and mm-hmm. then um being like i need to like it, you know like that, that was just a lesson uh, i i've kept with me from mm-hmm. 
was this like a story that did, I mean, Mad Cave kind of come to you and say, hey, we want to work with you. We have some ideas. Or was this something that you were kind of, you know, throwing around? This is the uh, second uh, time I got to take an idea that, you know, the framework of it and like the brainstorming was done by Mark London. It was the same thing with uh, Beckstar. Okay. It's like, okay, we have this, like, we want to do a story that's like kind of like this. And then, you know, I go in and similar to Beckstar, I, I trim it down because there's, there's usually more in there and other ideas of like, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this and being like narrowing it down and being like, no, we're, we're going to do it this way. And, um, some of these characters, like I'm going to combine these two, combine these two, forget this character, you, you know, and mm-hmm. and get it to uh, a manageable sort of situation. Um, and it's it's funny too. It, we're we're talking about this because uh, up to that point, I think Dahlia might have been the most ambitious thing I wrote in terms of all these characters and plot threads and then converging them all at the end. Okay. Um, Cause there's a lot going on with yeah. all these different characters running around and coming together, which was then followed up at mad cave by me writing a story that while there aren't as many plot threads as in Dahlia, there's like three times as many characters. <laughs> so it's like trying to find, you know, so, so you got a different, you know, sort of task you have to tackle uh, with King Arthur, the Knights of Justice. Uh, all right. So right off the bat, there's uh, 12 of these guys. Right. Then you got Merlin, Guinevere, the lady of the table. And then there's, Periphery characters from there. There's uh, Lady Elaine, the Squires, Count Ainsworth, and then you got uh, mm-hmm. the villains. Then you have Lord Viper, Morgana, all the different warlords. It's just so. So that was it. It, it was interesting having like uh, going from from that to that, and they they're both complex stories in different ways. Yeah, with um. That's funny, but uh, with your work as uh, as an editor, though, do you do you think you you do better when you kind of have, you know, a bit of a, a framework and you can get in there and and like take things out that aren't necessary and kind of like get down to the heart of the story and then build it back up as opposed to like building a story up from scratch? Like, do you prefer one over the other? Honestly. um, I'm really happy with both because if I'm building something up from the ground up, it's because I'm passionate about this idea. It's something like I want to do. Like, so it's a different set, you know, like when, when I'm coming up with a pitch, you know, I'll be like, Oh wow, I have this idea. Ooh, let me write this down. And and it's, it's a different, it's a different way to tackle it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Okay. Whereas, you know, when someone comes with an idea, it's like, let's make this work. It's it's sort of the same thing. Like, ooh, how do I make it work? Like, what's how do you crack this? You, you know, it's it, they're all different kinds of puzzles, but they're all puzzles, and I like solving puzzles. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. No. That that that, that does. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
It's just interesting um, because I know you've done, you know, quite a bit of editing work as well as, yeah. you know, in, in, in terms of writing. Um, yeah, I'm currently editing uh, Sheena over at Dynamite. So there are oh. two issues of that out now. Issue three should be out early November. Um, but yeah, that's with, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Stephen E. Souza and Wes Clark Jr. are the co-writers. Stephen E. Souza owns the uh, IP. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's been a trip because uh, he's best known as being the screenwriter of Die Hard. Oh, really? So, yeah, he wrote like Die Hard, Commando, <laughs> Running Man, like kind of wild. So Yeah. That's quite the uh cinematic pedigree there. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's funny. Uh especially cuz he also wrote that first uh Flintstones movie with uh, with uh, John, John Goodman Rickman. and Yeah. Yeah, Rick, isn't Rick and, Moranis in that? Or no? Yeah, Rick Moranis is Barney. Okay. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. So it's two Rick Moranis uh, references in half an hour. It's crazy. Yeah, I you know, just um, I like I said, uh, uh, any excuse to to bring up something from uh, Rick Moranis is in. So I'll I'll find a way to try and work in my blue heaven later. Uh <laughs> I watched my I did a um, okay. So the other a few months ago, I I did a double feature with a friend of mine. We watched Goodfellas and My Blue Heaven back to back. All right, yeah, because uh, yeah, both both somewhat influenced by Henry Hill, right? Yep. It's like Goodfellas more or less end where my blue heaven would begin. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And it's it's a trip. Um, if, if anyone out there hasn't seen both of those movies, give yourself the tonal whiplash of watching them back to back. <laughs> yeah, that is a heck of a double feature. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty great. Um, Thank you. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the the other projects you've done, um, and I know in terms of uh, the Never Ending Party, which was a comicsology original, and then I think it, it came out through Dark Horse. But you co-wrote yes. that with mm -hmm. with Rachel um, uh, Pollock, uh, who had mm -hmm. passed away this year. I know the two of you not yep. only were co-writers but friends, and I, I'm very sorry yep. um, for anyone okay. that doesn't know. She uh, was, you know, very influential writer writer of. Uh, the Doom Patrol, and we could go through like a, a list of of other comics. Um, what was that, you know, experience like for you in terms of working on, you know, the Never Ending Party with her? I mean, it was it was wonderful because um, we we would have phone calls and really kind of hash out what was going to happen in an issue. I take notes, and then we would follow up, and you know, sort of the way we wrote it was we'd basically be like, oh, well, I'll, I'll write this scene, you'll write that scene, and it more or less broke down to an even number of pages. Like, oh, the intro's three pages, I'll write that first scene, and then you'll do the four pages after that, and then I'll do the five-page scene after that, and then you'll do the three page. You know, it was like going, mm -hmm. going back and forth like that. Right. Um, yeah, and, and it all just made sense, and there wasn't any... Uh, it, it was just really easy to, to do. Like we were just sort of in sync on it. And when 
you know, there was, there was never any like, Ooh, I, can I do this instead? Or what if you did this and I did this? Like it all just flowed. And right. then Noah Shorma, the uh, editor on it, you know, would help make it all flow and, and read well, you know, personally. And I know I'm close to the project, but I, I think it reads like one voice. I don't think it, I don't think there's it's jarring going every few pages like no, oops, it definitely is writing this. Yeah, so, it definitely is. Yeah. So and, and I think and you know, Noah definitely you know, sort of helps with that. And he is now an assistant editor at a Marvel comic. So, so uh, wow. what I'm saying is, you know, work with work me with and, Joe. Uh, <laughs> You know, and you'll get like, uh, well, like we all see where, uh, you know, Liana went after she said destroy. You know? Yeah. So like, yeah, I think um, I think there's something to be said about working with me. Who can say? <laughs> yeah, it seems to be a pretty good track record of uh, of working with you, Joe. And then, you know, uh, yeah. continued success. Um, Absolutely. But I wanted to ask to, to kind of get you know, back and I always like to talk to folks and kind of make my way around to like, why, why a creative field and why comics in particular? I think I read, I don't know if it was another interview you had done or on your website that you started making your own comics in 2011. Um, So what was it? Why, you know, I've talked to plenty of people as to why they want to tell stories, but I'm always interested in like, why comics in particular, like all the different you know, all the different mediums you could choose. Why, um, what led you to, to, to comics? Yeah. Well, um, I do genuinely like comics. Uh, I've been reading them since third grade. I, uh, the first, uh, so, so this is what happened. I, um, I was really into, and still am. I might get that new Sonic the Hedgehog game that like just came out today later. Okay. We'll see. Maybe tomorrow. I have Today was busy, and um, yeah, I I can't you know I'm I'm still doing like catch up from New York Comic Con, and that new Mario game's out later this week too. I think so. Like, I guess we're all really fucked, but yeah, I uh, <laughs> got so we got to clear was, our schedules. Was, absolutely. So so I was really into um, you know Song Hedgehog and uh, Mega Man, mm. and in third grade um, for for years. Um, I would uh, do like a fan fiction with a friend of mine, uh, Brian. And uh, for his birthday party in the third grade, he had some of us, you know, we we all came over and we got little, um, you know, sort of like gift bags for, for going. And I got some little like Mega Man figurines, which were great. I don't know where they are now. They're probably lost to time. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the other guys there in, in his gift bag got Sonic, uh, like a Sonic the Hedgehog comic or two. And I was like, oh my God, they make comic books? Of Sonic? Like, there's more story to Sonic? Like, I can consume more content on <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog? So... Uh, not too long after that, I, I was at a Kmart with my mom, and they had Sonic the Hedgehog issue twenty eight was the new issue, 
and like Sonic's being like mind controlled by Robotnik. So like Robotnik's on like a monitor in the background and Sonic's all like getting ready to, he's putting up his dukes and like the freedom fighters have all been like, you know, taken out, Mm -hmm. which is very compelling to like an eight year old. Like, wow. Yes. How did this happen? So that, that started. And then I went, you know, then I had to drag my poor parents around to all different comic shops in the area, go back issue diving for old issues of <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. That was like my thing for a while. And then, um, you know, from there, got into, you know, some Marvel. Uh, what really got me into Marvel, because at the time, it was, you know, this was, you know, in mid-90s was terrible and it was impenetrable to a child who's like oh i watched the spider-man cartoon let me get a comic and there's like there's doc ock that's not doc ock fighting spider-man that's not spider-man and i'm like what even the hell is this yeah so and it was impenetrable and i didn't get into it until ultimate spider-man and runaway okay those are really what got me to be like, okay, I can read Marvel comics now. And um, at DC, I really just started, you know, with like Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, stuff like that. It wasn't until college, you know, I was reading like stuff like Sandman and, and things like that. And when I was in college, um, Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and uh, John Cassidy and Laura Martin was coming out. So I, uh, so I was picking that up, you know, going to a shop mm-hmm. regularly and getting that. And uh, so that was a big thing in terms of like keeping me into comics. And then I was reading some stuff here and there for a couple of years. I was doing a lot of uh, traveling around after uh, college. But once I settled back down, I I was going back reading uh, James Robinson's Starman run. Walking oh, Dead, yeah. Invincible. I actually just read that recently like, myself. I I never read this James Robinson Starman run. I just actually uh, a couple of weeks ago just went through that. Really loved it. Nice. No, it's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> like um I uh I feel like if you want to write like an ongoing big two book, it's required reading. Like you should know this book like the back mm-hmm. of your hand and understand like setup payoff, um, little setups, little payoffs, big setups, big payoffs. Like, cause that book does it right. It's like, there's yeah. a hand, there's just a couple of things that are teed up in the beginning that don't get paid off till the very end. And then there's, you know, intervals of like, okay, we're, we're, we'll pay this off. All right. A little bit like, Oh, we'll pay this off. Like, it's 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 really important uh, to understand like story structure on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of comics that you you don't really have the opportunity to because you know you're on a bit of a leash of like are are we going to get more issues or not? But it's 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 absolutely fantastic. And yeah, and from there, um, you know, getting back into some of it, and then uh, real, and then the new fifty two really got me again like just buying a lot of comics on like a weekly 
uh, basis for a bit. Uh, not just DC, Marvel too, and and more indie stuff. That was mm-hmm. that was. I, I think for a lot of people that were reading comics at the time, it's what got them into like Jeff Lemire, like, oh, this Animal Man book's great, and like, oh, what's this book, Sweet Tooth? Like, that's great. And then I went back, you know, Sweet Tooth and all that. Became a big Jeff Lemire fan. Yep. So. You know, so I, I mean, this is a long-winded way of saying I, I, I really like comics. I've been reading them for a long time, and so it was something I wanted to, you know, well, be be like a part of. Would that have been around? I mean, the, would that have been around with the new Fifty Two? Like, just that time period been around when you kind of started dipping your toe into to making your own? Had you always been someone yeah. that had like written before and then tried, you know, started writing comics? Yeah, I took. Um, uh, what was it? Um, creative writing courses in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had uh, talked to some people about doing, um, you know, like animation pitches and like script writing and stuff like, you know, all sorts of different things. And, um, yeah. you know, but, but even when we were talking about that stuff, it was like, comic related or adjacent, like, you know, superhero related type stuff. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, and it's, it's hard when you're coordinating with a bunch of people that like are interested in it. It's like varying degrees. So like after doing that for like a little bit, I was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do my own thing, not my own thing, but like, I'm going to figure out where I want to go in terms of, you know, just solo writing something and, and, and yeah. going from there. And, um, you know, in 2011, that's when I, I first self-published. Um, the first book I self-published, I did uh, like two issues of this like superhero sort of parody thing with this guy, Bob Wolf, who has since uh, spearheaded a YouTube gamer channel called The Wolf's Den, um, which is a, a very large... Um, YouTube channel, all things considered. Um, I know there's multiple big gaming channels, but mm-hmm. I am going to double check um, his uh, chat. Cause I mean, he's brought in his like, you know, a guest to like shows and stuff like that. But yeah, he's got um, 851,000 subs. Oh, wow. Well, that's so that's, so, a, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So again, Every why <laughs> wouldn't you work with me? Yes, that that's that'll that'll be the the, the title of the podcast: the yeah, secret exactly. to success in comics. Work work with Joe. I I I couldn't agree. More. <laughs> it's but but no. So so yeah, it was um you know something I I wanted to do um you know so so yeah I mean I really settled on. On like a, it's going to be comics, um, mm-hmm. yeah. With um, you know, around 2010, uh, you know, because I dabbled in a little bit of prose, and I do have a short prose story in a uh, in a book that uh, Peter David edited. Uh, they keep killing Glenn, but um, and I would do a little bit of prose. You know, like I I really love writing. I would write other mediums and things too but like my passion is comics and that's yeah. where i, I want to be and where i want to be doing things yeah that makes sense i mean yeah. 
you know, and you seem to be doing it uh, well. I mean, everything I've read, I've really enjoyed. You, you've been in a number of anthologies okay. as well that um, have been fantastic. I mean, I think you were in Yule and you were in uh, Deadbeats. You were in Lower Your Sights. Um, is, do you have like a kind of a, I don't know, a formula, uh, like a, a, a strategy in terms of pitching to anthologies? Because usually you have like a much lower page count. Yeah. No, I mean, um, my strategy is, and this is more of a like general philosophy with, with writing comics, is yeah. you should be able to distill your story, your idea into one pen. Okay. And then it's like, okay, if you can do that, like, like, what would if you only had one panel, what would it be? If you, okay, great. Now you have a whole page. What would you do with a whole page? You only had one panel before. Now you have a whole page, and it's like, oh, well, now you got two pages. Mm -hmm. Look at all the room you got now. You can do so much more with two pages than that one panel from two examples ago. I I always feel that way with with comics i don't like i understand why people push for more patriarchal state you need more more room i understand criticisms of stories when it's like i wish they had more room this and that right but ultimately you you should be able to tell a story within any restraints like that like if if all you could do is is that that that's what you can do and that's life you know it's like sometimes it's like okay you only have time to do this one thing like well, what's this thing you know mm -hmm. um, and that's it so i feel like you have to be able to approach it that way and with some stories it's like well if you need a lot to do the bare minimum with the story you want to tell, or like, oh, I need all this room and all these pages and all these things to happen, then you, then, you know, it's possible that you as the storyteller haven't distilled your story enough and maybe don't quite know what the core of your story is. Mm. Like you think this is a cool thing or you want to show this awesome action or you want to show this drama or you want to, you want to really show this heartbreak and stuff like that. It's like, you have to be able to distill it into that one image. You know, it's like a, like a painting, like, yeah. like anything like that. It's like, what, you know, you, you have to. Right. To no, I love that. Yeah. I like that. Thank that makes, I, that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Um, well, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you all night. Um, because I will, Appreciate we'll it. just, we'll, 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 we'll keep talking about, you know, cartoons and, uh, Rick sure. Moranis movies. <laughs> 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 um, but I, are, are you, uh, do you still get a chance to like, to, to, to read like comics and your fellow creators stuff? Is there anything you're checking out or into right now? Oh yeah, I, I read a lot of stuff, and I think it's important to to read comics. Uh, look, I get it. I get that there are a lot of people working in comics who, you know, either have a 
part-time or full-time job on top of the comics they're doing Mm -hmm. and are also like at an age where they not only have a family, but their children are still fairly young and they need to, you know, it's a a bit more hands-on than you had other times, but yeah, part of it is you, you, when you're, I feel like if you're working comics, it's like, you have to try to figure it out. Like you have to work that into your schedule and making comics, reading. Um, mm-hmm. Just to have everything fresh in your mind. Like you, like for me, it's all research too. It's understanding what's going on. And it's like, be like, Oh, Hey, you can do that with a comic. Like, Oh, this layout's really cool. Or, right. Oh, this is an interesting concept. I I know there are people out there that genuinely feel they should read less comics or step away from the media because they're afraid of, you know, subconsciously taking ideas or like that. It'll influence their work in some way. Personally, no offense to people that think that way. I couldn't imagine being more wrong about something. Okay. Like, um, ask Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese about that. Neither of them are like, well, now that I direct movies, I really don't watch movies. Yeah. I wouldn't want to get, you know, it's like. Yeah, neither of them are doing that. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think that's the kind of bad advice that's gotten parroted and people just go with. Because they heard other people say it. But in reality, it is bad. You need to understand, like, you need to understand the meaning of your Mm end. You need to love it. You need to love reading comics, or else why are you doing it? Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And, like, I just, like, am, you know, fascinated because you, I try to read a lot of different stuff, and I know I still have, like, huge holes in terms of, like, you know, the, the stuff that I've done, like my, my, I have two kids, my oldest, well, she turns 11 this week, loves mm-hmm. manga. And I just, yeah. I've not gotten into it yeah. really. She's discussed, she went from comics cause she would come to the comic shop with me and is now, you know, very much into manga. I think she's reading like demon slayer or something now, but, yeah. um, you know, but when I discover something or read a comic and whether or not it's the story or the artwork or, you know, panel layouts and it's, mm-hmm. It's just exciting to see, like, man, comics, you know, can do this, too. Um, Yeah. It's it's about, like, getting the gears working. It's about, like, you don't have to read everything, you you know? Like, I feel like, like, I'm I'm not even saying you have to read new books that come out every week. It's, like, read what you can get at your local library. Read um, what you can get through library apps. Get the Shonen Jump app and just, you know. Yeah read comics there even if you're only reading manga even if you're only you know personally i think it's good to just branch out and be curious yep but like you know it's i'm not saying if you want to work for the big two you better be reading superhero comics every day but if you want to work in comics i think it's important to you know, it could be a web comic. It could be like whatever it is. Like, right. And you try every day. It's not going to be every day, but you know, I, I try to on average read like four floppies worth or like 80 to a hundred 
comic pages a day, like no matter what, if I can. Yeah. Uh, this weekend with it being New York Comic Con was very difficult. But I'm sure. <laughs> you know, but now I'm like, you know, I'm getting back in the swing of things. And, right. You know, and it's like, read, you have to read stuff from established pros, read stuff from up and comers, read stuff from, read European comics, read manga, read web comics, like all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Uh, I, I, I try and if I can't do stuff during the week because it just gets too busy, I try and at least carve out, like get up, I get up early before everybody else in the house. This Sunday, I read, yeah. uh, I read the first volume of Behold Behemoth, nice. um, which was uh, fantastic, really great. But yeah, awesome. so I try and do that. But yeah, I think that's I, I think that's great advice, Joe. I think uh, I'm I'm on board. Um, Thank you, appreciate that. Yeah, so. Yeah, I just want to, uh, just to recap, we have King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. It's coming out from uh, Mad Cave's Maverick imprint in March, March 12th, 2024. If you haven't read it yet, go get Dolly in the Dark, because I uh, I really like it. Beckstar is another Mad Cave title that Joe mm-hmm. wrote. And um, I was a big fan of Joe and Liana Kangas. They did uh, She Said Destroy from Vault. That is a great one. And Thank as you. we mentioned before, the Neverending Party, uh, he co-wrote with uh, Rachel Pollock. You can get it, I think, still on Comicsology or through yep. Dark Horse. Yeah, you can get that. Um, I also had two stories that were reprinted in uh, Archie's recent Chilling Adventures Presents trade paperback. Um, oh, fantastic! So can, thank you. Yeah, so people can check that out, and um, you can pre-order. Uh, the King Arthur and the Knights of Justice through Mad Cave's site. And I think that the pre-order is available on Amazon as well, but um, you, you can check that out there. And Sheena, which I'm editing, is currently coming out. Two issues out so far. Issue three will be out early November. Okay. So I think by the time, depending on when this podcast comes out, that might might be out already. But I will put yeah. links in the show notes. So folks, when you're listening, you can go. Whatever you listen to your podcast, they'll have the show notes and it'll be... I'll have a link to Joe's social media and his website, as well as links to um, to to pre-order King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. Because, um, yeah, I, I think I've seen a couple other things. I think some other folks are and some other publishers are starting to look to those like late '80s, early '90s, like cartoons, and in terms of comic books, I think yours is going to yeah. be one of the first though that I I think comes out. So that's yeah. pretty exciting. Um, Thank I, you. I, yeah, I, I just love the idea of taking something like that, like a, a cartoon that two seasons and, you know, kind of turning it into a graphic novel. Like I, I yeah. love the idea. I hope it's, I wish you the, the best of luck and I hope it's successful because I definitely love to see more of that to take some, some lesser known properties and kind of give it the comic book graphic novel treatment, I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. Uh, looking forward to people checking it out and uh, coming out before uh, Biker Mice from Mars, which, um, you know, hey, if people are looking for more Biker Mice from Mars in the future, I had all the toys. I knew what was up. <laughs> just saying. I just love those those types of cartoons. Uh, so I think this is great. But all right. Well, um. Joe, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It was uh, a pleasure meeting you in Baltimore, and it was yes, great right. getting to to chat with you uh, tonight. So thank you very much. Thank you. Really appreciate it.
All right. For Comic Book Yeti, I'm Jimmy Gasparro. And uh, please rate, review, do all that other stuff. If you like the podcast, let me know because I'm Irish and Italian and part golden retriever puppy and I need I need the praise. Um, so thank you very much for listening and I will see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.